I think you just can't bear to let a gorgeous guy like me out of your sight. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy Friday. This is Gary Mance. I'm Gary. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be Gary Mance? Okay. Hey, I'm not. After that I'm drop, you just, after that drop you played, I'm kind of confused myself. <laughs> so. And and what about Benny? Are you Gary Mance too? Well, we're Mance and Mitchell, and and bad boy Benny is just eternally bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Although hopefully he doesn't spend all his time at the board. He has a life. How are I'm, you doing, Benny? I'm doing pretty good. That uh, hurricane kind of uh, shaking you up a little bit over there, has it? <laughs> I've just lost my mind. That's all. She'll go find it. Sometime in this hour. Of all the things yeah. I've lost, I miss my mind the most. That's Aww. for sure. And just a quick note, football kickoff. They're at Soldier Field, Chicago. Going to do it great. The Bears are back. Roar. Oh, what the heck happened there? It fell apart. Great game if you love defense. Yeah. Isn't defense that wins games? Yeah, and Super Bowls, they say, okay, you know, right. they really put on a magnificent show, only scored 10 points, and that was enough to win on the road. So I take my hat off to them and the Bears. I guarantee you, because I know people in Chicago, and Mr. Uh, Trubisky is going to be getting clobbered in Mitchell. the uh, Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky <laughs> there, it's like, they got to get rid of that bum. They say that about everybody. <laughs> I don't know what the magic formula is for them to unlock the Bears' destiny once again. This was the, the team in Chicago, 1985 Bears, arguably, even though they weren't undefeated, lost one game, but arguably the, the strongest, most well-rounded and dominant team in the history of the NFL for a single season. I don't know where they would find that today. But anyway, they need to bring uh, uh, back Refrigerator Perry. Refrigerator, all 320 <laughs> pounds yeah. of them. I I understand he's even heavier than that yeah, now. Yeah, actually, unfortunately, so. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's he, it. he can fish really well, I hear. Oh, is that true? I, I think that's the last story I read on him, yeah. Like a bear. Huh? He's still right. around. Rawr. Okay, I'm good. I'm glad Rawr. he's among the living. <laughs> yep. We'll see if the Bears' offense is among the living next week. Incredible. So NFL season is underway. We'll see what the Seahawks can do very shortly. And in the meantime, we have a gentleman on. Suzanne, you told me that this is... Jeffrey Marks's 12th visit? 12th visit. We've had him on 11 times. We've been on 12 years. This is our, we're in our 13th year now. We met him in 2012. And you and I were talking about when, remember meeting him, which we can reminisce when we get him on. Sure. Talking about old times and what's going on in these new times in the 21st century. To set up a theme, I asked Jeffrey to join us in order to talk about spirituality in the 21st century, because it doesn't seem to be about brick and mortar churches so much anymore. But before we get into all that, we've got some mad props to read. Why don't you do the honors, Suzanne? Jeffrey A. Marks is a professional psychic and evidential spiritual medium, paranormal researcher, student of psychical research, and an award-winning author. His three books that are sitting on our shelves are Your Magical Soul, The Afterlife Interviews, Volume 1, and The Afterlife Interviews, Volume 2, The Big Questions. We love his books. They have a treasured place on our bookshelves. 
And for the 12th time, we are excited and very happy to have Jeffrey A. Marks with us. How are you today, Jeffrey? Uh, I'm, I'm actually quite stunned that it's been 12 times. I'm like, really? Has it been that many? Wow. <laughs> we, we try to space them out over the years so you don't realize how much we're taking advantage of you. <laughs> well, I, at any such rate, gracious I, always, hosts. Uh, I always walk away completely um, overjoyed with the conversation. So I'm, I'm always blissed out to be here. Thank you. And us, too. We like talking to you, especially about psychical and mediumistic types of things. And, Gary, you said you wanted to ask Jeffrey about what he was doing last night. Well, as a matter of fact, not to be too intrusive, but what were you doing last night professionally? There, I understand you had a, a gallery, a circle of people getting together that kind of speaks to what we're going to be talking about over the balance of this hour. You were busy last night. Yeah, last night um, I was asked to be the speaker at the Bluebird Club in Linwood. They meet it uh, once a month at the uh, Snohomish County PD building. And it was a, it was a huge audience. I mean, uh, it was a packed room. I'm always, I'm always thank, thankful for that. Norma Menzies puts it together, and she really brings the people in. And last night um, she asked me to talk about, you know, um, the nature of spirit communication, you know, what, bridging the two worlds, what, what is it about, how does it work, and what is the impact. And so... You know, to really speak to that, you know, you need to be able to demonstrate it. And so that's really what I went there to do. I went to, you know, do a little brief introduction. This is what mediumship is. This is how we understand at this point how it works. But the real nuts and bolts of it is to reunite the audience members with their loved ones in spirit, to at least inspire them to the possibilities based on the evidence that the spirit communicators bring through, that we do survive and that we do go on. Um, and, and as I told the audience last night, there's two reasons for that. Uh, the first is to let the, pre, the people in the audience know, hey, look, I did survive, and I'm still connected to you. Our relationship still goes on, and I still love you. And then the second uh, point to the whole thing is to let us here know that life doesn't end, that we, we harbor a lot of fear around death. And, and, and to me, part of the magic of mediumship and the message is that we don't have to be as afraid as we have been that we do that we do transition out of the body and from what they keep telling us it's actually quite painless and and, uh in some cases very enjoyable as as odd as that may sound to us right now but um we don't need to fear death in the way that we have traditionally You know, Jeffrey, one of the things that comes to mind for me about this fearing death, and and I do get this. I had this this week, as a matter of fact, where I was having a lot of trepidation and some fear about dying. But let me tell you specifically what it was. And that was I didn't want to die before I had fully lived. And I felt like I was on a little bit of of a gerbil wheel and not having all the all the juice and all the joy that I would like to be having. And so I was naming the things I want to do. I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this, kind of like your bucket list. But my fear was, I hope I don't die before I get to all these things. And I'm wondering if that's part of what's going on when people fear death, is that they just didn't do everything they wanted to do when they were here. What do you think about that? Uh, I think that's spot, spot on. I think you nailed it. I mean, when we look back on our life, I, you know, it all depends on your viewpoint and, and attitude. But I think a lot of times people, when we look back, are, are going to be 
sometimes questioning, well, what if I hadn't done this and instead I was able to do that? Now, what's really interesting and nice and wonderful is that because we do not die, those things that uh, we are fearing we might miss out on, we can still experience even after we transition out of the body. As an example, um, several years ago I was doing an investigation with the Ghost Society, and um, I was linking up with this gentleman in spirit who actually physically knocked me on the head. He scared the bejesus out of me. I asked for it, but I didn't think he was going to do it as hard as he did. But anyway, after I got back into my skin after being completely uh, startled, I asked him, I said, well, why are you here? Why, why haven't you crossed over? And his response to me was, because I haven't seen Paris yet. He, he said, I've got some stuff here that I didn't get to see while I was in the body. I want to see this stuff and experience it first. I know I've got eternity now. I'll go into that light when I'm ready. And I thought, wow, that's a very interesting response. And, I, and I've had that happen just a couple of times in, in communication. But I, I think your fear speaks really pointedly to why a lot of us might harbor that fear of death. I think the, the fear that I entertain and I try to dismiss, but I also hear it from others, it comes into play, this notion of ego and personal identity. I don't mind the idea of being in a gender-neutral space where I may represent myself as a man born in 1954. Maybe I had a lifetime as a woman in 1867. God only knows. There, But I, I do have some anxiety around the idea that what it is I am about here becomes somehow irrelevant. Maybe that's not even true, but I fear that it's a matter of the destruction of the individual personality and being placed all of a sudden in a realm of being that seems amorphous and uncertain. Actually, I would counter that and say you are vitally important. Um, when you pass away, you, who you are, will continue to be. Now, there's a role that, that you are playing, though, that is incredibly important to a, a, a greater reality. And so to diminish yourself would diminish the role that you're playing and the value that you bring. So no, absolutely not. You are far more important than what you realize. And that does absolutely will not disappear when you pass away. In fact, I would wager that you'd probably gain a much better appreciation for yourself than what you currently have. I love your version of events, Jeffrey, because I feel like if we're going to go through these life lessons, we ought to be able to take the value of them with us wherever we go. Yeah, and, and the thing, too, I think some people think that when we pass away, um, our importance is no longer there. We're no longer relevant. That is also incorrect. We are still growing. We are still evolving. We are still learning who and what we are and the value and importance that we bring not disappear when we die. It continues forward. It absolutely does. And so we find ourselves now in a situation in the 21st century in North America, perhaps worldwide. But here in North America, it seems to me, Jeffrey, like 
people are finding different ways of doing religion, to put it that way. How do you do religion today? And the millennials are showing us something that if we ever knew it, we forgot it. They're showing that you can have an, you can have an expanded view of spirituality that is not dependent upon a brick-and-mortar church and a registered membership and all of the traditional things that are commonly associated with orthodox practice of religion. Yes, and, and that's because the, shall I say, the, the grip that organized religion has had on us has, has really been loosened. I mean, for, for you know, eons, it was tantamount to, to you were going to be persecuted, let's face it, you were going to be persecuted if you stepped out of the bounds of the religious orthodoxy. Um, you'd be excommunicated. So, you know, it was, you were pretty much trained not to go beyond the borders. Well, those borders no longer exist in the 21st century, at least not in the way that they used to. And so it's allowed people's minds, generation after generation, to be able to feel more free to ask, what is really going on? You know, and, and to try to square it in, in, in a way that perhaps was not available to us um, centuries ago, because it, it just wasn't within the, the culture of religion and spirituality. So yeah, it's, it, and everything has to grow and has to evolve, and this is part of that evolution. I like that you're talking about evolution. I know it, it, I'm almost certain it was in one of your two Afterlife Interviews books where you were asking people on the other side about religions, and my recollection is that the answers that you got from the people in the spirit world were that the religions are man-made. And so that's kind of the distinction that we draw when we say, you know, I'm spiritual and not religious, is that I do have this connection to a divine source, uh, an overall intelligence, but that the religions are man-made constructs that do kind of put you in a box. And, and when you're saying the, the grip has been loosened a little bit, um, I'm, I'm wondering if, um, you know, what, what people do who are willing to kind of let go of the cultural construct of going to a church on Sunday, what it is that they go to. And I know for Gary and me, part of that has been mediumship. Part of that knowingness that there is a divine source has been hearing from our loved ones on the other side and realizing that life is eternal. But what, what is your sense about what, what are people, young millennials or anybody, what are they going to when they are leaving their brick-and-mortar churches? I think even keeping the brick-and-mortar churches, we're all trying to go in the same direction. And that direction is, is to understand our place in reality, um, in the divine, um, in the nature of eternity. And we're, and we're just doing it in different ways. Some people are choosing to go to the brick-and-mortar church because, you know, that's in the tradition, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, whereas other people are like, okay, that's tradition, it doesn't really work for me. Um, and the answers that were given don't necessarily jive with my experience. Is there some, some other um, consensus elsewhere that might clue me in as to what I'm experiencing? That, that's what I see happening with a lot of people. So I teach classes on psychic and mediumship development. 
And this appears to be kind of the overall process where we were having experiences that just don't square with what we've been told traditionally. And so we're trying to understand these experiences and, and our place within them and where we fit. And, and some of this, and for me personally, my journey has always been, this is about the nature of consciousness. To me, it's all about consciousness. And so I'm trying to better understand what consciousness is, what, what the capabilities are, how it works, and, and then what does this mean overall. So this is where I think the evolution itself has always been progressing to. Where, where do we fit consciously, spiritually, in the nature of reality and eternity? And also just the involvement of our thinking about things, because everything changes all the time. It, we're always in a state of change, and, you know, it's interesting how you can either be changing to want things to be uh, more structured, more authoritarian, just tell me what to think, and I, I will think that, versus a, a change where you are uh, it somehow coached to think for yourself. And it reminds me that, you know, Gary and I came from more traditional religious backgrounds, um, Protestant and Catholic, we met at a religious science church. And I can remember a meeting at uh, Center for Spiritual Living in Seattle. And by then I had already been studying it. And so there were new ideas that were coming out of that philosophy that I did not get in the Protestant church, new ways of looking at the world. So I'm thinking perhaps even now there are more new ways of looking at the world. And as you said, not necessarily to take people away from their traditional churches, but just to give, have the, their thinking evolve, have their philosophies evolved. Does that, does that kind of ring true for you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the more we start to uncover things on shall we say, the science side, where we're starting to learn from our interaction with, with uh, quantum mechanics and how the observer affects the outcome, it, it forces us to question, again, who and what we are and where are we really going, versus sitting on a log waiting for somebody to tell us. Because what they're telling us in, in quantum mechanics and physics is that we are an integral part of what's happening to us. We are co-creators, in a, in a sense. And so we have a responsibility uh, to, to the nature of our experience. You can't, you have to honor it. You have to accept that. Otherwise, if you're just sitting back waiting for somebody to, to tell you, you've basically given away your power of choice. You've given away your power to create or at least have a hand in the creation of your experience. And I don't think that, that that's not what, any divine creative source in creating being would want. The, you know, to me, the, the, the divine source wants us all to become the greatest we can be um, in relation to our creator. That's not going to happen sitting back letting somebody else make those choices for you. You, you know, Jeffrey, I think you just hit on, on a, a point, and I, I, I put three little exclamation points next to it. Because I asked you the question about, you know, what are people going to? If they're going from 
uh, a very structured dogma, which doesn't always ring true because um, some of it, it just, not even that it's so ancient, but that it just doesn't seem true today. I think what people might be going to is this idea of co-creation in that the divine being everywhere present is not only out there, but it's also in us as well. And so we do have some power. And as you said, are we going to give that power away to someone else to let them make decisions for us? Or are there things that we can decide which co-create the kind of life that we want to have? And if, if that is our goal, you know, that, that we want to, um, you know, have the best life possible, then is there, is there a way of living, a philosophy, a, a way of thinking about things that actually puts the power right in our hands to co-create our lives and not be the victims of our lives? Yeah, and I, and I think that is the, the arrow of evolution that we are on, and that's where we're discovering I think it's important to say, though, that it's, I don't think we'll ever reach a, a finality. It will never be final. We'll always be in a state of evolution. Uh, so the concepts and stuff that we develop today will continue to evolve and change, uh, you know, as we continue to go down the road. Because the, the traditional viewpoint, uh, traditional religion, you know, it, it's all based on the culture and the time period and the value system that existed at that time. And so at that time, 2,000 years ago, this, this I, I'll venture to say, worked. I mean, it, it, was, it was the product of where consciousness existed at that point within our evolution. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. We have now grown away from that. We've, we've made new discoveries about the world. We've made new discoveries about ourselves in terms of consciousness and speaking. And so, therefore, um, our, our experience and perception and where we go with it also has to Otherwise, we're just putting ourselves in a box that will keep us from ever growing. I keep thinking in terms of what it is that makes life work. And when I get into these philosophical conversations, I mean, even over dinner with friends, you know, what is all this we're experiencing? What is this about? I don't know the reason for my existence is what I would say, but I do over many, many years, I do come to the realization that what I put out, what I generate from my conscious mind, particularly if I back it with some amount of feeling, will come back to me as experience. And it's almost like getting an instant report card day to day. If I'm putting out negativity or suspicion or anxiety, those things show up as life circumstances, even and maybe more especially in unguarded moments. And then I'm taking a look at what I have created. I can't blame it on somebody else. I created that experience and agreed to have it implicitly by thinking in certain ways, be they positive or negative. Right, and, and it, it brings to mind that phrase, I, I can't remember, I don't know if it was Albert Einstein that said it or not, but one of the famous scientists said, the universe works like a gigantic mind. And that's because it is. Um, I, I think you hit on something that is like very foundation to everything that, that we experience, and, and that is we are mind first. 
And everything out here that we're experiencing is a reflection of what's going on within the, the, our mind, within our consciousness. So what is invisible, what we're thinking about, what we're dreaming about, you give it enough conviction. And I think that's the key that we're learning is belief, which is a type of conviction, has a thrust to it. It has a power to it. And that's where the interconnectedness between all of us comes into play because that's where the co-creative aspect begins to take effect. And so it, it starts bringing all the particulars together because you've got that, that magnetism from the, the, the conviction to, to actually not only bring it forward into our future, but also rearrange aspects in the past, as crazy as that sounds, that need to have happened in order to even meet up to, uh, at certain times. It's, it's absolutely mind-blowing when you look at it. It really is, Jeffrey. It gets me excited on an intellectual level because I have had experiences, call them synchronicities, that tell me there is a deep principle in play. I can remember a time sitting in one of, one of those wonderful Azteca restaurants, and I wish we had them here in Sarasota, believe me. I would be haunting them there. I, I love Azteca food, and I love the great service you get. Free plug for Azteca, everybody. <laughs> but this was years and years ago. I'm sitting there having dinner with a group of friends. I was at one end of the table, but within earshot of one of my pals who was having a totally unrelated conversation, okay? Totally unrelated. And I am trying to remember the name of someone with whom I had some recent dealings, and I don't know why it slipped my, my mind there, but I could not think of this gentleman's name. Seemed to me it was a name that could be male or female. I dealt with this guy, what was his name? What was his name? What was his name there? And I'm just nagging myself about it while I'm in the middle of one conversation when my friend and coworker at the opposite end of the table is indulging in her conversation and regarding someone totally different. I think she was talking about a mechanic. And she said, his name is Terry. And then it popped in my head. Terry was the name of the woman whose name I couldn't remember in the context of what I was worried about at my end of the table. And so his name is Terry. I go, oh, Terry, yes, she was a Terry in my case, and the name popped in. It's almost like we're in this fishbowl of consciousness. The universe is vast, but our thoughts many times are small in context. There, And that answer to my question came to me from a totally unrelated conversation at the far end of, this, of these two tables put together to accommodate coworkers. And I thought, ain't life a wonder? That we can get answers to any questions we ask, even in bizarre ways, in unexpected ways. But that information is held in the mind of the universe. And even better, that information remains always available. Yeah, and I think it's important to stress that we have access to it. Because if you've noticed in similar circumstances, when you're looking for something and you can't think of it, if you go trying to find it, you don't find it. It's when you finally let it go that it comes in. And I think that part of that letting go process is really important to mention, too. Because I think, I think in letting go, you, you're opening yourself up to receive. Whereas if you're looking for it, there's a part of your consciousness that's saying, I'm not seeing it, I'm not finding it. And so that produces that magnetism to keep it away from you. <laughs> you know, that also reminds me, Jeffrey, that there have been times where I can't think of a name or a or a particular actor or actress or some situation that's going on, and I just now go to my phone. 
I go to my phone and I plug it all in. And, you know, who was the actress in that movie? Bam, it shows up. It's nice to have that example of going to a phone and getting those answers instantly. But but as our as our minds work, not that we can get it as fast as a telephone, but all the answers are there for us to get once we access that universal mind. It's right, right. there. Yeah, the, the universal Google. <laughs> and that's just it. And Google is a pale reflection of that in human life. That's exactly right, Jeffrey, because mind knows and mind never forgets. Correct. And it is accessible. With that, let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, I want to pick up on the threads of this because it's just important for knowing how to live a better life. It seems like worthwhile fodder for conversation of an hour. And we're glad that Jeffrey Marks is spending this hour with us on Manson Mitchell. Give us a couple of minutes. We'll be right back at Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is mansonmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm, let's see... Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean, when you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful, and you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there, just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish. They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our very special guest this hour, Jeffrey A. Marks. He is definitely a friend of the show. We have been on air now going on our 13th year, and this is his 12th visit with us, although it hasn't been uh, one a year. It's been more than one a year, actually, since we've met him. 
And Jeffrey, if people would like to connect with you, I want to make sure our listeners know what your website is, where they can get your books. If you're doing any um, appearances coming up that you want to mention, anything by way of, of sharing how to connect with Jeffrey A. Marks. Sure. Um, through my website, which is www.spiritualexploration.com. Uh, I am available for one-on-one readings. I'm available for private home groups in the Puget Sound region. Um, and I do have some things coming up. In October, on the 19th, uh, at Vision Quest in Everett, I'm doing a one-day psychic and mediumship workshop. So for those people that, you know, I, I just want to, like, tip their toes in the water to see, you know, what, what capabilities they have and, and what the process is like, that class is really designed for, for, for you. And then in uh, November in the holiday season, I always do um, public mediumship demonstrations. It's very important for me and, and for them on the other side to let people know um, we are here. And you're not alone on the holidays. And we all know that the holidays are a really hard time for people when they've lost loved ones. So I, I make a point of going out and doing public demonstrations. Uh, and so in November on the 18th, um, I'm at Daylight Healing Center in Edmond. Um, that evening doing a Thanksgiving celebration with Spirit. And then um, right now I'm still booking for December, but I've already got one booked on Saturday, um, December 14th at a pass to Avalon in Arlington. That afternoon we'll be doing uh, another gallery mediumship event so people can can know that that their loved ones are there with them for the whole day. I'll tell you what's interesting about your saying that you're doing readings in November. You know, holidays are hard when loved ones have transitioned. It was pointed out to me startlingly that the majority of the people in my family made their transition November, December, and January. And I'm going, what? And and I started listing all these people, and I couldn't believe how many members of my family were going during those three months. Yeah, Isn't that it's odd? Actually, it's not a surprise to me, because we we are very much attached to cycles and time. And uh, my, my wife's father passed on, uh, I believe it was New Year's Eve back in the 90s. And, and uh, to me, I think the reason we do this is because of our awareness of time. And at the beginning of a new year, it's kind of like, okay, here's another year. Here's another cycle of time. And for some people, I don't want to do that anymore. I've, I've, I've had my fill here of this reality. I'm ready to go. And so this is why they choose the end of the year, because it's a, it's a, it's a mental uh, equivalent of, of it just fits. It's a psychological process that says, I think this this is the right time to go instead of starting a whole new year. Well, that's very interesting. Mark Twain predicted his own death. He saw Halley's Comet and he said, I'll be dead when it returns. And if I recall, I'd have to go to some uh, unimpeachable source like Wikipedia or something (laughs) to find this out. But uh, I believe that when uh, Halley's Comet returned that year actually is when Mark Twain died. So talk about foreordained, you know, also the power of thought, you know, but he had a sense that, you know, I've seen Halley's Comet and when it returns, it's going to be the end of my life. So uh, a fun fact about him. I wanted to get back to magnetism, Jeffrey. This is so important because there's a dynamically creative aspect to it. I was just reading about this very recently, in fact, so I'm glad we have the chance to discuss this. Magnetism is a universal force. 
it, it's one of those things we don't think about. We just react to magnetic forces and they act upon us and we act upon them. When it comes to magnetism, it reminds me whenever I hear about it, Jeffrey, of that saying that the universe is in a conspiracy for our good. And the follow through, the corollary to that is if you have a set idea that isn't strangulating with its specificity, but it's based upon a value and a genuine desire and some emotion behind it, people and circumstances will coalesce magnetically, as it were, around this central idea you have in order to manifest it in your life. And it's something here again that is quite reliable. Yeah, and um, there's been, I've been reading quite a few authors that were discussing this. Um, all the way back to the 1910s, 1520s, uh, we've had some really great people talk about this. Ernest Holmes, Science of Mind, was one of them. Uh, Neville Goddard was another one. Uh, Joseph Murphy was another one. Um, uh, Wallace Waddles is another one. So we've got a lot of people who, who really spent quite a bit of research in this. And, um, what, what we, and in the modern parlance, what we've discovered, uh, again, is that you're right. It has to be a combination of knowing what the end result would be and what the feeling around that is. Because we, it's the feeling that uh, seems to provide a lot of bit of the energy for that magnetism. Because we can all have thoughts and visions and things like this that just flitter right on by. But when you attach emotion to it, well, that's something else. I mean, it's like taking a piece of film, of movie film, and putting the music soundtrack. That creates a whole new dimension to it. And it, and it seems to be one of the, the key elements uh, in manifestation. I like I'm that. excited by that because yeah. if magnetism is such a strong principle and has such a strong pull on us literally and mentally as well. I like being able to count on it because you can, you can make recourse to it. You can make changes in your life and in the lives of those whom you care about in order to effect a greater good. That's a very encouraging thing to me. Yeah. And what I would um, encourage people to do is to look at those parts of their life that are really working out well. And notice how they're thinking and feeling subjectively about that portion of their, their existence. And then compare that to a point of their life that they're not having um, success in. And realize that the same principles are at work, but what's happening in that part of their life that isn't working out um, is that even though they have a well, good intention, their belief and feeling that gets attached to it is quite the opposite of the intention. And so that's where we have to start working to create a shift and a change, because it's, it's the same process from the good parts of our life um, to the parts that are bringing us challenges. We're still utilizing the same process. We just got to understand how we're doing it and work with those challenging areas to sort of make it work in the same way that we do with the positive aspects of our experience. You know, I really like that you said that, Jeffrey. Look at what's working well. Uh, because you, you want to see what the template is for how things are working. And everybody in their life has something that's working well, exactly. some aspect of it. It could be their health, it could be their job, it could their, be their relationships. There is an aspect of everyone's life 
which is actually feels good and is working well. And, and the idea to replicate that in other areas, you know, what is it that, that is, is working well and then take that, 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 that feeling, those thoughts, that, that way of looking at things and bring it to something that you would like to see changed uh, it is really great. I, I've given this example umpteen times on this show, but it just popped into my mind once more, and that was my dad. My my dad, every time, so often, like far more than the average, he would show up at a hotel on vacation, and he would get an upgrade without asking. He would. They would say, "Oh, we're so sorry, Mr. Mitchell, you're." your room isn't ready. So we're going to upgrade you to a suite. You know, we're, you know, it was always something where he was scheduled for one thing and got something better. And it became a family joke that he was scheduled for a room, but somehow got two rooms or a suite or, or a top floor or, or something else. And on this, on the other hand, he always had poor medical care. Oh, these doctors don't know what they're talking about. He was constantly putting down doctors, and he always had poor doctors. And, and I would look at those two things, and I would say, if only when you went to the doctor, it, was like, it would be like going to a hotel. It, you'd get upgraded. You'd get something better. But again, it was just his thinking. If he, could, if he could be a certain way, walking into a hotel where they start out with an apology and give him an upgrade, wouldn't it be nice to also go into a medical situation where you're getting an apology and they give you an upgrade there too? Yeah, and, and it, it, yeah, and it was always his thinking about it. Yeah, well, it, 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 it's in addition to his thinking, it's also what he was thinking. I mean, what he was feeling, and so he's yes. got he's got that musical composition going on there on top of his thoughts, and so you you can see from those two examples the range that we can force ourselves through, that we put ourselves through in the nature of our experience. Uh, when, I, when I was listening to that and you were talking about the upgrade to the hotel, it also made me think, you know, because it became a family joke, how much additional energy from the family compounded to create that reality. So not only was it just him expecting to get the upgrade, so was everybody else, and that too is going to contribute. And so yes. we, we have the, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. We have the ability to, I'll say, inspire change in others. So if your father had been open to changing his thoughts and his feelings uh, about the medical stuff, um, the, the, it could have happened from other members of the family, even without his knowing it. They have done tests where people in sealed rooms can send emotions, thoughts, and feelings to somebody else, and the other person will pick up on it, which means on a very subliminal level, this is why I feel kind of reticent about saying this, we can't influence other people. We can't. And so this is why um, I think prayer is really, really important. It's done properly. Um, and, and so we can help move people in a, a much more positive direction. Um, if, if it's able to reach that subliminal level within them and, and spark the change if there is an aspect within their consciousness that is open to it. And I think that's the important point. 
Well, what I what I think I hear you saying is when you're talking about influencing somebody in a way, it's almost like praying for their highest good. And and that's what we when we are with prayer practitioners, those practitioners might see our good easier than we can see it, which is why it is good to pray for each other when when we pray for ourselves sometimes there is a conflict there i'm praying for my my good health and my better health but oh everything hurts and i mm-hmm. i'm really fearful about that test that's coming up and and so we're we're almost neutralizing our good with the not good but if if we can if we see that good in somebody else it's easier for us to pray for another person and accept that person's good health because we don't have we don't necessarily have that same conflict saying well I hope the test goes okay we can just say I know it's going to be okay it's going to be fine and so our positive thoughts and our positive prayers can go out to another person maybe without the negative attached to it exactly and therefore it will definitely be more um effective. And that's what Ernest Holmes used to do um, all the time, because um, people would come to him and ask for him to do uh, what he would call a demonstration of mind. And, and a lot of it had to deal with health. And a lot of the success, I think, is exactly um, because of, of what you described. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was placing the other person within the context of the health that was naturally given to them as a product of the great divine source. And once and this apparently is another key to the whole thing. Once we feel that this is a natural, correct response versus feeling like we are having some resistance, when it becomes like it feels natural, that's when it, 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 it that's like when it goes out to all things. And keep in mind, um, the reason why influence can have an impact is again because we are all connected. We're not separate. We're all connected. Um, but I think um, uh, belief systems and value systems um, play an uh, important part. The person has to be, on some level, open to these things. Right, because maybe the majority of people alive today, which would be tragic, but it could be true, they live a shut-down, button-down life. So if you have those blinders on, it's easy to say, well, I don't see any truth in what you're saying. I think you're nuts. And we get judgmental. That's not true. I've never seen any proof of that. What were you really looking? Were you even open to seeing if it if it were right in front of your face? That's how we limit ourselves. Yeah, and and we I think we do that not just consciously but also subconsciously. Our our beliefs are gatekeepers, and so they're going to block out anything that that does not correspond. So, for instance, um, I have a belief in me that that says because of my work with spirit and my connection to all things, I cannot be um, influenced or damaged by a quote-unquote evil or, or negative energy. And thus far, that has, you know, I've never had that issue. I like that. Yeah, and, and I've heard other people say who are in the psychic realm that uh, protecting yourself is important, and that would mean having the thought and the belief that you are protected and no harm can come to you. 
and and so whether that's a, a a a belief or something that you you know a cloak that you're putting around yourself if you can adopt that then you shouldn't you should be keeping out your negative experiences yeah because like i said beliefs act as gatekeepers and so i think functionally what they're doing as a gatekeeper is they are attuning your energy they are attuning your consciousness they're keeping it at a certain frequency that is going to repel those frequencies that are not in alignment with it. And I, and I think that's the power of belief. I'd like to go back to a great historical tragedy and see how we can apply this principle. The Titanic, from what I understand, and I am not a scholar of the Titanic incident, Eileen Grimes, who is a star of 1150 AM KKNW, she has written a book about it, as a matter of fact, from the astrological perspective. And having read that book and talked with Eileen and others about the Titanic and just going online over the years, I have been mystified by the apparent story of people who had a strange feeling, a foreboding that even though they bought the ticket for this transatlantic crossing, that they should not get on the Titanic and whether they simply decided not to go or conveniently arranged to be indisposed so that they couldn't take the trip, they did not get on the Titanic, which went down on its maiden voyage. Whereas other people, for all I know, Jeffrey, because I've invested this amount of money, this is the world's greatest luxury liner, and by God, I'm going to take this trip. I'm not going to be silly about this. Forget these negative vibes or whatever they would have called them back in the day, this unsettling feeling there. I've, I've paid for the trip, and I'm fairly well going to take it, and they went down with the ship, or they wound up in a life raft in the freezing Atlantic, lucky to be alive. This, this is the, I bring it up because we have a subconscious mind that has self-preservation as its dominant reason for existing in our mind, like an inlet in universal mind. Self-preservation is the dominant necessity, first rule of nature. And yet people have the conscious ability and often exercise it to override the very sorts of promptings and forebodings that are in, that are meant really to keep you alive in a dangerous circumstance. Well, we also have the same stories with um, the 9/11 and the Twin Towers. There were people who had premonitions uh, a week to two weeks before that did not go on that day. And what we got to keep in mind is, um, in, in events like this that contain lots of different people, there's going to be lots of different reasons behind them spiritually as to why they've engaged that event. Uh, I firmly believe that people do not die until it is their time. However, we have myriad different ways of how we choose to exit the body. So those people who did not receive those warnings and therefore did not heed and got on the Titanic or went to the Twin Towers uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a hard way for us to sometimes accept, that was how they were meant to leave this earth. Now, if we go to the concept of self-preservation, um, I think we have to sort of re-examine that and say, well, if death is really just a doorway, that self-preservation may not necessarily kick in for those who are meant to pass away in that way. Because, look, they're still, they're still moving on. So uh, it, it forces us to really take a, a, a more detailed look at the event and, and and try to extrapolate what we can uh, and not place it all in one single box. We're also very different with different reasons and objectives and reality. 
Yes, I, I like that. There, are, it, the situation is far more complex and has many more perspectives than than just one. And you know, it's it's why I, I follow a little bit of numerology and a little bit of astrology and a little bit of everything that will point me in different directions because I don't think any one thing has all the answers, but all of it has a little bit of the answer. Yeah, I would say that self-preservation feeling may apply to those people who, for whatever reason, have other things that they are meant to do here in this body. And so that's kicking in and saying, hmm, not your time, don't go on this. Whereas for others, it's kind of like, nope, this is the time. And so they're not going to get that, that, like that two-minute warning. And that brings me back to our original premise that there is a 21st century spirituality. Jeffrey, you said it, religion is meeting science. Principles of science are mingling, interacting with spirituality in a way that has only become even conceivable in the last 100 years or so. And of course, we still have our skeptics. Of course, we have our hardcore materialists and we have hardcore spiritualists as well. So anytime that a conversation leads to a deep investigation of all of this material and all of the potential for human evolution. That's the kind of thing I hope to see emphasized more and more in 21st century spirituality, even in the brick and mortar churches. As far as I'm concerned, the more they talk about it in the Orthodox framework, in these places, these sanctuaries of worship, the better for all of us. I agree, uh, but I also understand that there's going to be some challenges with that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it will, and it takes people who can work there uh, pushing the envelope. And in a way, you're one of those people, Jeffrey, because you're willing to gather around a circle of people who have human needs, they have human yearnings, including and especially contact with their loved ones that they presume to have gone over to the other side or at least hope that they did, and you are that conduit. So the work that you do is extraordinary for that reason alone, as well as others. Yeah, and, and I like to tell people when I can that, look, I'm not the evidence you are, that you're willing to show up and, and take a chance is, is more than what the loved ones on the other side can hope for. You know, with, without the person actually being here to be open to the process of that connection, the people on the other side miss out. And so to show up to a reading shows that you, as the sitter, are the evidence. I like that. And with that, number 12 is in the books. It's in the books. One more time, Jeffrey, if people want to contact you, where do they go? Um, www.spiritualexploration.com. Thank you Beautiful. so much for being with us on this Friday. Thank you, Jeffrey. Can't wait for the baker's dozen. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you so much. And have a great weekend. Stay tuned for the Christine Upchurch Show, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience. We're going to be hanging out with her today. We are. Turns out. And then after that, American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. If you haven't had enough of me already, let this be the start of a great weekend, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.